I believe even as we celebrate Father's Day, as fathers, as men, being a father myself, we need to ask ourselves very, very deep questions. The scourge continues in our country, in South Africa, and as long as those of us who are good men are quiet and we're not involved in any form of activity, this scourge will continue. And I want us to ask ourselves a question today. Is this the kind of man that we want to be? Is this the kind of father that we want to be? Will we remain silent when these types of atrocities are committed in our name? I believe that there are many men out there who want to change the narrative. And we definitely are going to do something about it as we have started. And we need to demonstrate what it means to be a true man and ensure that the women and children of our country are treated with dignity and respect. I want us to visit the Bible and examine in the light of the Word of God men who really demonstrated what being a man is, what being a father means. And I want to say, and I believe it could be in your heart as well, that's the kind of man I want to be. These men in the Bible were not supermen. They were not necessarily having any advantage more than you and I. But it's men who decided to treat women with dignity and respect. Men, I believe, after whom we also want to model our lives. And so I'm going to go through five of these men, and we will discuss a bit about their story and about their journey. And as we do, let's glean lessons from these men because that's the kind of man I want to be. The first man we want to talk about is a man by the name of Laban. Laban, we read in the Bible, was the uncle of Jacob and Esau. He lived in the city of Nahor in Padam Aram. Jacob and Esau, as you know, reading from the Bible, these two brothers had a fallout with each other. They fought. I won't go into their story. As a result, we know that Jacob cheated his brother Esau. And finally, because Esau was so angry and so mad, Jacob ran away. He escaped the wrath of his brother Esau and fled to his uncle in Haran where he came to live with Laban who was his uncle. He lived there for quite a long time. And when he arrived there, he began working for Laban as a servant. And so in the process, as it would happen, Jacob fell in love with one of Laban's daughters by the name of Rachel. The Bible tells us that Rachel was a really beautiful woman. And so Jacob really fell in love with this woman. But as it was, according to the culture of the time and the preference of Laban, Laban preferred that the older daughter by the name of Leah should be the one who got buried first. But he didn't disclose this to Jacob. So when Jacob expressed his desire 
to marry Jacob's daughter by the name of Rachel, he said, all right, if you want to marry her, you're going to have to work for me for seven years in exchange for her hand in marriage. And you know what it is, eh? The man worked very hard. I mean, tirelessly so. Laid his life down, worked very hard to be able to finally receive Rachel as a wife. And at the end of the seven years, when he was supposed to receive Rachel, instead of him receiving Rachel, Laban really cheated this guy and gave him Leah instead. I won't go into the background and what happened there. You can kind of fill out all the blanks as to how come he didn't know it wasn't the right one. We won't go into that. And then when Jacob finally realized he had been cheated, he goes to Laban and says, what have you done? And Laban says, listen, if you really love Rachel, then you have to work another extra seven years. And so because the brother is in love, he decided I'm going to work an extra seven years and he worked so hard. But then Laban persuaded Jacob to stay even longer because Jacob was such a great hard worker. So he stayed even longer and he even said to him, I promise you to give you wages that is 10 times more in six years. But then things began to change and Jacob wasn't very happy with the way Laban treated him. So when the family situation became tense, Jacob decided that, you know what? I'm gonna quietly leave this man and go with my wives and my children. So quietly Jacob left with his wife, left with his children. But unbeknown to him, his wife, Rachel, stole one of the idols of her dad. He actually took one of the idol gods, not Jacob not knowing that. And so Jacob gets on this journey and travels for a long time. The Bible tells us when Laban finally came back home and discovered that Jacob had left, when he looked around, he realized that one of his idols was gone. And the Bible says he pursued Jacob, finally caught up with him, and he was so displeased with him. And I want us to pick up the conversation in Genesis chapter 31, verse 30, and the following verses. And I'm reading for you in the NIV Bible. This is how it reads. This is what Laban is saying. He says to Jacob, now you have gone off because you longed to return to your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered Laban, I was afraid because I thought you would take your daughters away from me by force. But if you find anyone who has your gods, he shall not live. In the presence of our relatives, see for yourselves whether there's anything of yours here with me, and if so, take it. Now Jacob didn't know that Rachel had stolen the gods. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two maidservants, but he found nothing. After that, he came out of Leah's tent. He entered Rachel's tent. And Rachel had taken the household gods and put them inside her camel saddles and was sitting on them. Laban searched through everything in the tent, but found nothing. 
Rachel said to the father, her father, don't be angry, my Lord, that I cannot stand up in your presence. I am having my period. So he searched but couldn't find the household gods. You know what I love about Laban? In spite of the fact that he was a deceptive man, when he was searching around in the house, he respected his daughter's privacy. He didn't violate her. He didn't force himself. He didn't humiliate her. He respected her. He gave her the space as much as we need to respect women. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of man I want to be. The kind of man who shows honor, who shows respect, and will give women the space, the dignity that they need to be honored and to be respected. Laban, in spite of his ways of dealing with things, made sure that he respects his daughter. But you know, today we unfortunately see cases where women are not given the space and they are not respected as they should. But can we take an example from Laban? And that's the kind of man I want to be. We read secondly about another man by the name of Job. When you read Job chapter 1, the Bible tells us how this man was so prosperous, so blessed by God. He had a huge house. He had a huge flock of cattle. He was rich to an extent that the Bible says he was the richest man in that area. And this man was blessed by God, him and his wife. They had 10 children, seven sons and three daughters. And the Bible tells us that these children of Job would have a get-together often as children, of course, with their wives and their husbands. And they would have a great feast. They would party. They would have joy and all of that. So Job, as a father, thought about it and said, it could be that as my children were, were out having fun, having a party, they may have done something wrong and sinned against God. And so as a father, he took it upon himself, the Bible tells us, to pray for his family and to offer burnt offerings before God. And the Bible says he did so for each one of his children, for both the male children and the female children, just in case they had transgressed God's law during their feast. And so in Job chapter 1, verse 5, this is what we read. It says, when a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have his children purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them. Watch that. Thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cast God in their hearts. Then it says, this was Job's regular custom. You see, Job didn't show favoritism by loving his boys and respecting them more than he did his girls. Job did sacrifices and gave sacrifices and offered sacrifices for every one of his children. He prayed for the boys. He prayed for the girls because he said, these are all my children. Job saw value in both the boys and the girls, the sons and the daughters. Job made sure that as a father, he does what he should do as a father 
and offers the prayer for both of his children. And sometimes, you know, we can favor and love the boys more than we do the girls. And in some cultures, more value is put on the boys than it is on the girls. But I want to be a father like Job who will love both my sons and my daughters. Of course, my wife and I have two sons and we love them to bits. But you know, if I had a daughter, I would love her just as much I would love my boys. And that's the kind of man we ought to be. And I believe that's the kind of man you should be. A man who loves his children and prays for them and brings them before God. Because both the young men and the young ladies need to be covered by your prayers as a father. Both of them need you to bring them before God so that their needs come before the throne of God and God can be able to minister to them in a powerful way. I just love this kind of man by the name of Job and I want to be that kind of man and I believe you also want to be that kind of man. The third kind of man I want us to talk about is a man by the name of Mordecai. Mordecai also happened to have been an uncle to a young lady by the name of Esther, and she was also called Hadassah, is the same name. And when you read the Bible, there's a whole book dedicated to this young woman, Hadassah, and it's the book of Esther. I really encourage you to read this book of Esther because it carries a compelling story of a young woman whom God raised from being a slave to being a queen. And God used this young woman to even bring deliverance to her own people. An incredible story. The Bible tells us that Esther or Hadassah lost her parents when she was very, very, very young. And when her parents passed on, her uncle by the name of Mordecai adopted her when she was very young. And the Bible says this about this man, and I love it, in Esther chapter 2, verse 7, and I'm reading the NIV Bible. It says, Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This girl, who was also known as Esther, was lovely in form and features. In short, she was a knockout. She was a beautiful girl. And then the Bible says, and Mordecai has had taken her as his own daughter when her father and her mother died. What a man, Mordecai. He took Esther as his own daughter. In other words, when Esther was at her uncle's home, she didn't have to be afraid if uncle is going to creep up and rape her. She didn't have to be afraid if uncle is going to abuse her, beat her to the pub. She didn't have to wonder and not be safe. It's so sad in our country that the women of our country don't feel safe in our presence as men. It's a tragic thing that they have to look around that when they see a man, they wonder how he's going to behave. Either he's going to pass some comment that objectifies her 
or he's going to do something to hurt her. But you see, this man by the name of Mordecai wasn't that type of a man. He was the kind of a man in whose presence a girl could feel safe. The kind of a man in whose presence a girl could be who she should be. And the interesting thing is, as Esther continued to serve as a servant in the land where they were, the time came when God elevated Esther. She was serving as a queen. She was serving rather in the king's courts. And she was elevated to the level of being a queen. An opportunity came that God wanted to use Esther to be able to bring deliverance to her own people who were at that time was in captivity. When you read in chapter 4, you will note how Mordecai knew how to transform from being a senior to Esther, but he transformed to be a servant of Esther. He actually allowed Esther to send him to go and do some work. And he even went to a point where, as she saw, as he saw, that the season of Esther was at hand, where God wanted to elevate Esther to the rightful position. It was Mordecai who said this in Esther chapter 4, the second part of verse 14. He says to Esther, and who knows but that you have come to the royal position for such a time as this. The King James reads, yet who knows whether you have come into a, the kingdom for such a time as this. You see, Mordecai is a man who knew that a girl child has potential. She has ability. She can lead. She can do well. She can be elevated by God. She can be anointed by the power of God. She can stand up as a woman. At this stage, Esther was at a point where she was giving leadership. Mordecai didn't feel like his ego is being taken away from him. He didn't shy away from supporting this young woman and saying, I see potential in you. I see what God can do through your life. I see what God can do through you. And he supports this young woman to say, you have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. I don't know about you. This is the kind of man I want to be, to support the girl child, to support the daughter, to support the woman and say, even if you are my senior at a job, I will honor you and respect you. I will recognize that you have potential. You are created by God to be a leader. You are an equal just like me. And that's the kind of man I want to be. And Mordecai becomes a great example. I wonder as you sit there with your daughters, maybe you are one of those men who's adopted a girl child. I wonder what your attitude is towards her. I wonder what your attitude is at work. If you have a woman as your senior who's leading, I wonder what your attitude is. But I say to us as men, let's take that attitude of Mordecai and be that kind of man. The fourth man I want us to talk about, this one comes even closer home. His story is in the New Testament. This man's name is Joseph. Joseph, who raised up our Lord Jesus Christ. Joseph, who got married to Mary, the mother of Jesus. The Bible tells us that when Joseph was engaged to Mary, 
before all the necessary processes of marriage could be finalized, Mary became pregnant. Now, I want to read quite a long passage from Matthew chapter 1 because I believe reading all of it will give us that story, the fullness of all the things that are involved in this story. I love how this man, Joseph, rose to the occasion, challenged all things that sometimes in certain cultures or at certain times are upheld by people. It says in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1, and I'm reading this one from the New Living Translation. It reads as follows. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, she became before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. Let's stop there for a while. See, Joseph didn't want to disgrace Mary publicly. How often do women become disgraced because of the perception that they have done something wrong. How often is it that in families when things go wrong, the woman gets blamed? She gets blamed if the couple can't fall pregnant. She gets blamed if the child gets born and maybe the child dies. She gets blamed when the man strays away. She gets blamed, by the way, if the man can die before she dies, she gets blamed. But not so with this man. Not so with Joseph. He didn't want to make this woman a public spectacle and disgrace her, the Bible says. Now note what it says. And so he decided to break the engagement quietly. What a man to protect the dignity of this woman. He said, I'm just going to break the engagement quietly. I'm just going to do it silently. I'm not going to embarrass her. Verse 20, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared before him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary, his wife, and he didn't have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. Can you imagine this, how Joseph handled this matter? Can you believe he protected his wife, didn't want to embarrass her, he believed what the angel said to him and didn't blame Mary or even kill her. He didn't become suspicious that she cheated on him. Joseph, as a man, didn't even feel threatened or humiliated by people's comments because people commented later and said, oh, this child was conceived out of wedlock. As a man, he didn't feel in any way embarrassed. He didn't feel emasculated. He vowed to take the boy Jesus and raise Jesus and become the father 
of Jesus. Joseph did not go on an ego trip, but he protected his wife and he protected his son. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of man I want to be. I want to be that kind of man who will do that, not embarrass, not humiliate, but protect, love, nurture, and care. As I conclude, I want to talk about the fifth kind of man by the name Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords, a man among men. A chilling story we read about in John chapter 8 that goes to the very core of the behavior and attitude towards women that we as men must not tolerate. We shouldn't tolerate these attitudes. The text in John 8 says that there was a woman who was caught red-handed in adultery. The Bible tells us that the religious leaders of the day, in the presence of the scribes and the Pharisees, who happened to be male, by the way, when they caught this woman red-handed in the act of adultery, they brought her and presented her to Jesus. Jesus at this time was having a service. He was preaching. He was having a sermon. People in attendance. But these men, they didn't care. They brought this woman, placed her before Jesus, right in the middle of that crowd, and they brought this woman to Jesus. Interesting enough, they quoted from the books of the law, quoted what Moses said, and said, Lord, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Moses said in the law, such should be stoned. What do you say? And Jesus, a man among all men, fully demonstrated how we must behave and how we must act. When Jesus saw this, he had a sense that these men, it's so strange what they're asking. They've only brought this woman and they've conveniently left the man out because the man was with her. Why is it that her sin seems to be more than the sin of the man? And Jesus responded and said, you know what? He who is without sin among you, let him be the first one to cast the stone. Jesus didn't condone, condone what the woman has done, but he defended and protected this woman from those who were trying to humiliate her and even go to the point of killing her. Jesus intervened and became the kind of man I believe you and me want to be. We want to be that kind of man. It is said that even during this pandemic of the coronavirus, the women and girls of our country continue to experience violence and brutality that defies, that defies comprehension. As a nation, today we mourn the following women and many more who have been killed. We mourn the death of Tsikhofatso Pule. We mourn the death of Naledi Pangindao. We mourn the death, we mourn the death of Nompumelelo Chaka. We mourn the death of Nomfazi Kabaza. We mourn, we mourn the death of Nwabisa Mkwandela. We mourn the death of Alticia Korchi. We mourn the death of Linde Loa 
penny. We mourn the death of the 89-year-old grandmother who was killed in an old-age home in Queenstown. We mourn the death of the 79-year-old grandmother who was killed in Brackburn. We mourn the death of the elderly woman who was raped in Kwamswa Imani in KwaZulu-Natal. And we mourn the innocent souls of Tsikofazo Pules and Bond daughter. We mourn the innocent soul of the six-year-old Renesia Korchi and the six-year-old child who was found dead in a field in KwaZulu-Natal. Even though Jesus might not be here in his physical body to protect these women who have passed, maybe to have intervened, but I believe Jesus expects you, Jesus expects me to be his hands, to be his feet, to be his extension, to say it can't be done, not in my name. It's enough. The women of this country cannot be treated like this. I believe Jesus expects us to be his voice, to be the activists. Jesus expects us to say no to the gender-based violence and, and femicide. Let us be those men who will stand up and who will not be quiet, who will say no, who will talk to our peers, who will challenge those who are perpetrating these crimes because enough is enough. I pray that God will grant us men as we celebrate Father's Day the grace and the strength for us to be able to do what is right. I hope if you are caught in that vicious cycle of anger and you find yourself in a place where it seems like you may not be able to control yourself, it is possible to control yourself. Help is there. You can call us right now. would love to pray for you. You can call and ask God, say, Jesus, come into my heart. I want to give you an opportunity. Even if you might not be a man, you may want to ask Jesus to come into your heart. I'd like for you now to call that number that's on the screen and follow me in this prayer because Jesus is the one who's able to change the lives of people and he is willing to change your life as well. Please follow me in this prayer as we pray. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I come to you just as I am. I invite Jesus to come into my heart to be the Savior and the Lord of my life. Come into my heart. Lord Jesus, make me a child of God. Change my life and make me a new creature. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd love to pray for you as individuals as well that God will bless you. We also want to pray for our nation right now. Father, we pray for our nation. We pray for the individual needs of people out there that you touch them by your power, touch them by your life. We pray for our nation. Bless our nation, we pray. Help our nation, oh God, and help us to go through these very difficult times right now. We pray as we stand as men, as we stand and do what we should do. Heal our land, heal our nation, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.